Let me pray for us. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A few years ago, Stephanie took a great courses class. It was being taught by a National Geographic photographer, Joel Sartor. And he told a story of going to the Gulf of Mexico off the Baja Peninsula. He had a group of people with him, and they were in a boat in the Gulf of Mexico. And what he said was that the gray whales that are there, they have no memory of being hunted. So they come right up to the boats and will even flip over so that you will scratch their bellies. Sartor observed, the sad thing is that some people spent the once-in-a-lifetime experience taking photos and videoing the event. They didn't even take time to pet the whales. He wrote, in that magical moment, they missed their chance to bridge the gap between themselves and the natural world. On our recent trip, we often reminded each other to pet the whales. Because uh, Europe right now is, is really overcrowded with uh, people who are traveling and, and seeing the sights of Europe. And so on our day that we went to St. Peter's Basilica, literally it was shoulder to shoulder. It was so crowded. But what was even more difficult was that almost everybody walking around in the basilica were walking around like this with their, their phones. They were recording everything, taking pictures of everything. And we were so excited because Sydney had taken an art class, an art history class. And she had, her, she had read and studied uh, the Michelangelo's Pieta, which is there in St. Peter's. And so we went up there. We couldn't even get close. We couldn't get, and, uh, and you couldn't take a picture because you had everybody's hands in the picture that were, were filming and taking it. And, and then when we toured the Ifuzi Museum, uh, y'all probably saw on Facebook that Stephanie posted that we were trying to take a picture of the birth of Venus by Botticelli, this famous, famous painting, beautiful. And there was a young woman posing in front of it. You know, we, we couldn't even take, no, it wasn't me. We, we, couldn't, we couldn't even take a picture of it. We couldn't take a picture of it. But I just want to say that I think many of us go through life in a daze or at least asleep at most. We, we go th as, as if we are spending our lives photographing everything and videoing it so that we can go back and look at it, but do we ever? I mean, maybe a little bit right after a trip, but, but instead of petting the whale, we miss the moments of our lives. So the term being woke has taken on a negative connotation over the last year or so, but if you look at any 
major benevolent religion. But, and especially in Christianity, the call of God to us is to awaken, which is to be woke, is to awaken to the presence of God, the awareness of the Spirit, the natural world that God has created. We are being called into this space to awaken. And we can't do that if we're absolutely consumed with, um, with the noise of our living, right? Father Richard Rohr writes about the necessity of awakening, stating, in a sense, we can call the prophets the fathers and mothers of consciousness. Because until we move to self-reflection, self-critical thinking, we don't move to any deep level of consciousness at all. In fact, we largely remain unconscious, falsely innocent and unaware. Thus, most people choose to remain in a first stage of consciousness, secure and consoled. It's great to think we're the best and the center of the world. It even passes for holiness, but it is not holy. And when that happens, we discover that God's voice... God's presence in our lives has been silenced. Now, as you heard in our first reading, the prophet Amos had something to say, say about that. The prophet spoke to the people of Israel and said, listen, uh, there's going to be a famine. Not a famine of bread, but a famine of God's word. God's word will not be heard. And then Jesus, uh, in his teaching, kind of follows that up. Jesus, um, as uh, Diana Butler Bass said in her uh, commentary on the gospel that we just heard, that Jesus points out that people fail to dance. They fail to weep because they are bound by heavy burdens and the people of Israel were bound by the heavy burden of being oppressed. They had lived in an oppressive state. And so Jesus is raising this, holding up a mirror to them. The Greek word here for child is paideon, which refers to either a little child or a servant or a slave who is under the discipline or training, literally meaning one under the whip. And, and so Jesus talks about yokes and burdens because it was common in that period for slaves to be uh, forced by the Romans to put on yokes to do their work, and they were heavy and burdensome. And so Jesus is trying to raise the awareness of the people of Israel um, that they were being raised as children into oppressed people to live under this burden, this yoke of the Roman Empire. And so um, what we need to remember is children were like slaves. They had no role in society. They they were, had no rights, no distinctive personhood, and were seen primarily as the property of others. 
So Jesus is using children as a metaphor here. And those others had both the right and the legal responsibility to shape children as they wanted them. And that was the role of empire, to shape people as they wanted them to behave. And so, just like the gray whales that don't remember being uh, hunted and so come up to the boat and turn their bellies up, so the people of Israel don't have a memory of what it means to be free. Don't have a memory. Uh, they've been shaped into a social structure, an identity that keeps them from actually seeing the realm of God, actually hearing God speak to them, actually being aware of God's presence in their lives. This generation, as Jesus calls it, has functionally been formed into a colonized people, Jews at the bottom of the Roman Empire, without any sense of their heritage as children of Abraham and Sarah. They don't, they don't remember this, and so this is what Jesus is calling them to do. And Jesus is frustrated and angry that God's people are under the whip of Rome and that they have a hard time then seeing God's spirit move among them in a new way. Well, so I just have to ask us, what whip do you think we're under? What has burdened us so much that we have forgotten how to dance? That we, ha we have so stuffed our emotions down that we, we cannot even weep. Barbara Brown Taylor has written a book called When God is Silent. It's a tiny little book. But it's powerful in its message. And what she talks about is that the reason that we in today's culture cannot hear God speak is because we are too filled up with words. This is what she writes. What we crave in this wilderness, this famine, are fresh words from the mouth of God. Whatever happened to the talkative God of the Bible? What wouldn't we give for one comforting word in the garden in the cool of evening? or a commandment so audible it made people cover their heads. Perhaps there is no proof a famine exists except for the fact, isn't that just the funniest? <laughs> except for the fact, <laughs> so all of those of you online, you didn't see this, but a little boy just rode by on a, I don't know, some kind of, yeah, a little try. Just an automated something. That's, that's how we get, uh, that's the joy we get of worshiping with glass all down one side of the church. Well, let me go back. Barbara Brown Taylor continues saying, there is perhaps no proof a famine exists except for the fact that people are hungry. In the land of plenty, the source of that hunger can be difficult to diagnose. It is often not until we have tried to ease that hunger with everything else we know that we discover by process of elimination our hunger for God. And then she concludes, our problem is not too few rations, 
but too many. It takes thousands of words coming at us every moment to distract us from the terrible silence that we so fear. I remember uh, one of my favorite scenes in the movie The Help is when Abilene, Abilene Clark, who is portrayed by Viola Davis, and Hilly Holbrook, who is portrayed by Jessica Chastain, meet at the end of the movie, and, and uh, Hilly has done everything she can to suppress and oppress the help. She wants control of it all. She wants to control them. She wants to control her culture because the world is changing rapidly around her because we're in the 60s, and, and everything she has understood about what kept her safe has, is changing. And so she's, she's trying, and so there's a moment when she's just going off and, and Abilene steps up to her face to face and says, Miss Hilly, ain't you tired? Ain't you tired? And, and that's sometimes what I want to say to us. Aren't, aren't we tired? Aren't we tired of forgetting to pet the whale? Aren't we tired? And, uh, and so I, I think about that as we go, go through this, that um, the heavy burden that Hilly carried was to try to control everything. And with her words, with her behavior, with everything. And so what heavy burdens are we carrying today? What are the heavy burdens that are upon us? Jesus pointed out so well. We are so filled up, we are so full of words that we have forgotten to dance. We have forgotten to dance. If we will but wait on God, learning to lay our questions before God, trusting that there is something better than knowing all the answers, knowing and trusting that the only one who does know will never forsake us. When we think God is silent or absent, we may discover that we have put our faith in, faith in things that are false or superficial. The reason for our experience of God as silent may be to bring us to the end of ourselves to prompt us to be still and listen and seek the God of our hunger. Well, as, as maybe challenging as that feels to us, if we will turn our hearts back toward the scriptures, we will discover the promises there. You know, uh, I don't know what I was reading this week. I couldn't find it again when I went looking for it, but it was about the story of Noah and the great flood. And it's, it's that beautiful story where at the end of this traumatic, awful time, Noah and his family and all the creatures with him step off the ark and hear God say, and, and God's pretty chatty here, really chatty. As for me, I'm establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you. That's us. that never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. 
And the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature for all future generations, I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Jesus' promise is very direct. Come to me, all you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Follow my teachings, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For unlike the Roman Empire, the burden that I give you to carry is light. The load I give you is easy. For 25 years of my life, right after high school, I went every summer to Seguin, Texas, and spent most of the month of June at Texas Lutheran College, where I was a volunteer counselor and ultimately a volunteer administrator for the Texas Girl State Program. It's an educational program for rising seniors, young women who are going into their senior year of high school, and they spend, the, I think now they just spend a week, but at that time we were spending 10 days on campus, and we'd go in a, a week early to get everything ready and stay several days after it was over to put everything away. And it was an amazing experience, and I was surrounded by amazing people. But I was a little insecure, well, a lot insecure. And so during that time, uh, whenever I had a chance, I would go sit on the patio outside the chapel that was at the center of the campus. And in the wall of that chapel was a big plaque that was had cut out of stone. For lo, I am with you, even to the end of the age. And I can't begin to tell you the peace that that brought to me. When I was weary, when I was afraid, when I was insecure, when I wasn't sure of myself, to sit there with that statement that I knew was attributed to Jesus brought me peace. Well, we're just so filled up with words these days. When I was growing up, my grandmother Mary, my dad's mom, she was the quintessential grandmother. She was about five feet tall and round. And she was just a pretty amazing person, but she would talk to herself, oh my God, all over the house, talking to herself. And we would laugh and laugh and laugh. And now I'm talking to myself. <laughs> I, I, I find myself walking around the house saying, and then I'm going to do this, and then I'll do this, and then, and then I'm like, what? what? Stop talking to yourself! You know? Uh, you know, and no wonder I go through periods where I don't think I can hear God speak to me. Because I'm so busy talking about nothing things. About nothing things. Now, y'all know I've tried meditation. 
It's painful to me. <laughs> so I'm not so good at it. But I can, if I try, be still for a bit. I recently took our dog, Zachy, out for a walk, and I forgot my phone and my AirPods, which meant that I couldn't listen to my book or music or anything. And so here I am walking this dog who's... And, um, and I notice that I'm hearing birds sing. You know, and I'm pay, <laughs> paying attention to uh, to Zachy and how he's doing, and I'm seeing things in our neighborhood that I haven't seen because I'm walking this dog without listening to a book on on Audible, without listening to music, just listening to the music of God. As y'all know, I grew up in El Campo, Texas, a small uh, rice farming community southwest of Houston. It was a small town, rural, and we had one dance studio, Miss Kynard's School of Dance. And Miss Kynard was best friend, you know, best friends with my parents, and and my mother was determined that her three daughters were going to take every dance class that was offered whether we wanted to or not. And most of the time, I didn't want to. So we took tap and ballet, and then as we got into high school, took ballroom dancing. And for four years, I took ballroom dancing, and it wasn't until my senior year that Miss Connard let Bubba Parker and I be the, the youth leaders of the, of the ballroom dancing. Now, I have to tell you, dancing is not easy. I mean, to be a good dancer, it's really hard work. It's like anything else, being a musician, being a golfer. You know, just and you know, I, I saw that uh, the women's soccer team is getting ready to go for their world championship for the fourth time. I mean, there's nothing easy about any of that. And certainly, ballroom dancing isn't easy. Four years. But, but I want to tell you something about ballroom dancing. It's like riding a bike. You cannot do it for a long, long time. And then you have a chance to dance, and it comes back to you, and you can ballroom dance. Now, I wouldn't trade all that dancing that I took. I learned a lot. So I want to ask us what Abilene asked Tilly. Ain't you tired of your burdens? Isn't it time we dance? Because the Lord of the dance invites us every moment and every breath dance but we have to make room we have to make room in our words we have to make room in our lives and in our own silence for God to dance with us so why not say yes I hope you dance amen <laughs>